or or does it is it just one time you're at the casino and you just have to make a video and then you see the people grab onto it like how does this start again like you said might have to have them on because we got to know the answers listen if you're a person that naturally says line it up buttercup you're a lot more entrepreneurial than me This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Top of it. Top of it. Top of the muffin to you? Top of the muffin to you, player. Man, How you doing? That is a great Seinfeld episode. So good. I, so good. I love muffins. You having a good week? You having an okay week? Yeah, man, it's good. How about you? I had a, I had a, I had a good week. It was a, a lot of family time. You know, we always do Fourth of July, just out and about with the fam. So it was nice. What really made my week good is I was expecting to pay a three month penalty for interest, but the U.S. government just likes me, man. I guess my taxes must be up in tip top shape, ready to go. These are odd bonds you're talking about, right? These are Which I we, bonds. So we've been we've been discussing I bonds for years now. <laughs> give, give the people what they need. Give the people what they need right now. Well, I mean, the great news is, and we like to brag about this on the show. I know we made our listeners thousands of dollars worth of interest with I bonds because we had a good response when we first mentioned it, and we actually, I think, we got to it before almost anybody. I mean, we got to it very early on when the I bond interest rate went all the way up to nine percent. Um, because they track inflation. So I had a couple tranches. I'm going to call them tranches, <laughs> a couple investments. In so, so that's like an aggressive term. <laughs> <laughs> some in 2021, some that I made in 2021, some that I made in 2022. And I did my first redemption there. According to the letter of the law, Dougals, as both you and I have read it, if you hold the, bo- the I-bonds for less than five years, you should be subject to a three-month penalty. I decided that I wanted to transfer those funds from something that was making 3% to something that's making 5.5%, basically. And so I was willing to pay that penalty. The breaking news, Dougals, I can't guarantee this happens for everyone else. But for me, they didn't charge me uh, any interest whatsoever. Is it? Does it happen at tax time, maybe? Yeah, maybe that's what I'm wondering. I expected expected them to just... uh, withhold those funds because why not it's simpler that way yeah but maybe yeah. that will show up on my tax bill yeah and can i back us up a moment just to give a summary of i bonds for a moment because we, we talked do. about yeah. it a bunch but so i bonds are savings bonds uh, that are issued by the u.s government and generally speaking i'm gonna hit on some of what skippy just hit on there but generally speaking if you hold i bonds for the 30 years that they're meant to be held right you get back just like with any bond you get back the amount that you put in, right? All the principal plus all the interest that you earn. And the interest from I-bonds are calculated based on two factors. One is there's a, a base rate that's like a, think about like prime interest rate, right? There's like a baseline interest rate, depending on where interest rates are at the time. Then you get added on this, what I'll call an inflation premium effectively on top of that. So if inflation's higher, I-bonds are paying out more. So it's the the addition of those two. And as Skippy mentioned a couple of years ago, that the interest rates were, like around 0% effectively. But then you had this huge inflation rate, right? When inflation went up. And so it was, I think, 9.86%. It was something like 9.62. I think that was what it was, if I remember correctly. 
I was going to give like it 9.68. Point is, was, anyway, I mean, it was high. Gosh, it was high. I didn't give enough detail, Diggles, and then you give way too much. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> I-bonds, the rate resets every six months, largely based on inflation. And it went, you, you got, like, we both got six months of nine plus percent. Then we got six more months of six something percent. Yep, that's and right. And now, then it reset down to, uh, three something and who knows where it'll go from here but you had at least a year's worth of interest where it was like the best risk-free rate you could get it was no brainer to take advantage of you're totally right they probably are going to come get me at tax time i was shocked that they didn't just take it out in the first place but the general psa here um which i probably did a poor job of just like it might be time we know you threw some money in there to look at that, see what your other alternatives are and consider when or if to make the move because now high yield savings accounts and uh, money market funds and other vehicles can get you in the range of 5% in a, in a way that's effectively rich risk free. So I bonds aren't the clear undisputed winner anymore. It's worth some analysis, which they were, which they were. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm personally, Everyone do your, is always research recommendations. Go do your research. I'm personally, I think my first tranche going to be able to sell that next month because then I'll lose the, assuming that the interest rate gets lost, I'm going to lose the right three months. If you're maximizing that cash, it's worthwhile doing some research. And if you bought them, figuring out when the right time to sell is. So that's based on your own personal circumstance. I bonds, yep. man. I bonds. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Can you even imagine? I I still get like a, a smiley face in my <laughs> stomach just thinking about it. That was smiley, so lovely. Smiley face in your stomach. Okay. I'm going to reach from the fishbowl. Speaking of smiley faces and stomachs, I'm going to reach from the fishbowl. This is so unrelated to that. But I want to talk about this piece in nature that came out that I, I found to be uh, a, it's a worthwhile read. Although these pieces can get quite scientific and so it could be boring, but I want to hit y'all with some of the, the, the key points here. So this piece is called The Persistence of Cognitive Biases in Financial Decisions Across Economic Groups. Uh, so there were 755 authors or something like that in here, so I won't even name them all because there's so many authors to this piece. I'm not <laughs> sure how you write a piece with this many authors. There's so many authors to this piece, so I won't name them. But here, here's what I'll say. So what this piece was talking about, and you can get this from the title, what this piece was talking about is saying, generally speaking, there are like two sets of research that have, that have come out historically um, around why people that are in certain economic circumstances, low economic circumstances, stay in those circumstances. One piece of research or one body of research generally says low-income folks make bad decisions. Like that's what it's about. If you're in a low-income circumstance, you make bad decisions, therefore you can't get out of that low-income circumstance. Then there's this whole other body of research that says that low-income people just have you different environment effectively. And so even if you make okay financial decisions or good financial decisions, it doesn't end up mattering because you have narrower margins, meaning you can make a good financial decision that could um, net you $500 generally, but you get hit with a, a car payment and therefore like you effectively, you just can't get out of it, right? So there's two different bodies of research. So this piece was saying, what if we test some hypotheses to see like which body of research is more correct? 
Mm-hmm. Does that background make sense to you before I dive in? Any other clarity I can provide there? It does. Um, I'm trying to think of a simpler way to say it. There's a hypothesis that lower income, the lower income crowd might inherently make less optimal decisions. This, so that's one kind of hypothesis. And another is more that there's factors that lead to those optics when they might actually not be true. It's just, it's one of those things that's, it's important, I think, to get rid of bias that just says that if you're poor, it's because you're dumb. Like, let me, yes, right. Right. Like that's Mm -hmm. important. And so they tested these three hypotheses in this piece. One is in the research they did. One is, is there cognitive bias that sits within low-income folks that make it such they make different decisions? The second was, do they make less optimal decisions to begin with, regardless of why? Do they just make less optimal decisions? Yeah. yeah. And the third is, if you look at different environments, they looked across, I think, 60 different countries, something like that. If you look across different countries, different countries have different environments. If you look across those, is there any difference? Like, just based on environment, how people, um, decision-making people have. And basically what it came down to is there just is no evidence that there, one, are cognitive biases that keep low-income folks down, two, that they make less optimal decisions, and three, that in different environments, either one of those things retains. So the unspoken hypothesis here seems to be like they're trying to figure out why these people are poor. Yeah. Yeah. Did they go there? Did they get to try and answer that question when they say well, none of this is actually true? No, because it wasn't saying why are they poor. It was saying why does economic mobility happen or not for them? Yeah. So okay. like, why why do they stay that way? And basically, they we're saying is the reasons. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of negatives that are about to come out here. So it's <laughs> The, the reason a reason why that's not the case why they the reason why economic mobility does not happen is not because of cognitive bias and it's not because of suboptimal decision making um and and though and that's true across different environments so it's basically if you wanted to say it in the positive way it's it's because of systems yeah, yeah. like th- that's well it. although that's not necessarily positive that's kind of depressing <laughs> Sorry. And laughing at that's not good. No, it is. It's just like the the whole system and circumstances was holding people back. It's not it's not because they are cognitively different, right, than other folks. So financial liter what this would say is financial literacy by itself is not a thing that would drive economic mobility. And it just has you just like people just need more systemic changes, right? And so that- they yeah, go ahead. That's a fascinating point. Sorry, because we talk financial literacy a lot on the show. A large percentage of the financial community seems to think that increased financial literacy, like teaching it in high schools, teaching personal finance in high schools would be a good thing. I definitely fall in that camp. It's interesting to hear that conclusion here. I know they're not necessarily saying, and don't teach financial literacy, but saying that financial literacy is not the driving factor here. On its is, own. Yeah, yeah, on its own. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It it is it is quite interesting, and I'm so we'll we'll put this on the Substack. Give it a read because it's I don't know. Basically, it is to your point. Like it's not positive because you look at this and you're like, so then what, right? Like it's it's just a and yeah. the answer is it's freaking complicated, uh, and it it takes a 
it takes a lot to figure this out. They even gave some examples of things that people have tried systemically, right? Uh, we've discussed here universal basic income on the show before. They looked at uh, basically cash transfers, like um, countries that have given out cash. Mm-hmm. What has been the impact there? And what they found was it's not that it doesn't have an impact, but you end up uh, looking at how was the cash distributed? Was it distributed to the right people? Did people know how to take advantage of this system? Like there's just other stuff that ends up coming up uh, that makes it hard because you have to say, this looks like the PPP loans right in the US. You're just like, yeah, it's it's complex. Does the government even give it out right? <laughs> right? Like it's all these things that make it difficult. So it's, oh man, it's complicated. I expected to read something a little bit different when I was looking at this piece, but I, I did not. Yeah, as I've worked my way through it, at a high level, it, like I more skimmed it, um, there it's still pretty dang confusing. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. It's very complex. Um, that is true. Was there some mention of mindfulness and attempting to, uh, when they talk through all these uh, cognitive biases, they talk about like overestimation, overplacement, the framing effect, loss aversion. How did that tie into the study? They What they wanted to say was, if you look at the correlation between people that got out of a low-income environment and those that did not, uh, was there was there a correlation that showed that if you got over this bias or if you had this bias, that it held you back or not? And basically it just said, like, it, the any of the biases, like you just mentioned, mindfulness, let's just call it, that mm-hmm. was the same between the two groups. Like, that's kind of what it says. Like, it, there wasn't a, a big difference between those two. So it doesn't... It doesn't necessarily mean that doesn't matter. It's just that it's that by itself did not. Got it. Got it. No, that. Okay. That clicks for me. This is important. This is interesting, but this is very unsatisfying. Dougals. There's no, (laughs) this just says, Hey, in the past, you've probably heard some hogwash that says to use your simple terms, like, Poor people are poor because they're stupid. It, it, yeah, simplifying exactly. there. Uh, apologies for the coarse language. And this says that isn't true. But then there's almost no and the takeaway or and the fix is this. It just is kind of yeah, like exactly get rid of that garbage. And then what we'll do another study in 20 years to tell you some of the solutions here. That's, that's basically it. It was all negatives. That's why I've had so many negatives <laughs> earlier. They're saying they're like saying what it isn't but there's nothing that says what it is. <laughs> so there you go. Okay, I love go. it. This is go. the uh, challenge with scientific papers. I hey, Listen, I'm sure we'll have some listeners read it, but for the rest of you, read this next article I'm going to talk about. Let me tell <laughs> there you, you go. That. All right, reach into the fishbowl. This next article is a Dougal's dream. Dougal's dream. Uh, so what are Dougal's two favorite things? Uh, losing money and gambling. <laughs> It's not untrue. The joke, people. It's a joke. But uh, so there's this guy. I might, I might have him on the show. I'm still debating if this is going to be good content or not. I needed, I need to hear an interview. This His blew my mind. This blew my Brian mind. Christopher. Uh, last year, he lost three hundred thousand dollars gambling on slot machines. So you're wondering to yourself. Oh, why is Skippy and Dougals? Why are you telling us it's about this? This doesn't sound like good investing advice. It's not. It's terrible investing. But there is an entertainment story here, which is happening. He live streams his uh, playing at the slots. And people 
from all over the world hop on YouTube to watch these live streams because they can get the gambling fix from somewhere else. So you, we talked about cognitive biases. The thing I loved about this is people have found solutions to their gambling addiction that don't involve them to actually lose their money. They watch someone else lose money and they get the fix. Dude, because this is amazing. Uh, I, there's so many questions that popped on my mind when I look at this, but how do you think about doing this in the first place? Like when you're heading out to the casino, you go, what if I took my camera? Like, how, how does this even begin? This is why we might have to have the guy on the show. Here's the thing. There's so much I love about him, but he has like catchphrases. He says, line it up, buttercup. And then, <laughs> oh, I got to find the one when he loses. He has a, he's like a catchphrase oh. for losers because he's not allowed to cuss or anything. It's, it's yeah. that that's rude. But yeah, that's rude. So his his fans are so enthusiastic. They call themselves the Rudies. They have live meetups. Uh, he has a team of 10 employees. And here's all they say about his revenue figures from the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. He makes money. So he loses $300,000, <laughs> loses $300,000 a year gambling, has YouTube subscribers around 600K, Facebook followers around 700K, pays 10 employees, and still comes out on top. This guy, this is something who, I mean, we talked about the additional IRS agents, man, who is doing his audits and being like, all right, so you're a professional gambler slash YouTuber who is making buku wuku as diggles would say this is insane it's, i love is, every aspect of this <laughs> i don't i just don't even know what to do with it i agree that look when people figure out some entrepreneurial spirit to bring into new areas i'm all about it and this confuses the crap out of me how in the heck is this a business 10 employees are you kidding me with that 10 employees Slicing and dicing the videos again I just don't know what, what is the day, like the morning you wake up and you go, I've got it. I've got the idea. I'm going to head out to the casino. I'm going to pull out my smartphone or, or does it, is it just one time you're at the casino and you just happen to make a video and then you see the people grab onto it? Like, how does this start again? Like you said, might have to have them on. Cause we got to know the answers. Listen, if you're a person that naturally says, line it up, buttercup, you're a <laughs> lot more entrepreneurial than me. <laughs> that is true. If that's your natural state of being, then that's just the whole, you're just a different animal. Yeah. Props to Brian. This is super sweet. I haven't had time and I don't know that I ever will to watch his YouTube videos, but I'm intrigued. Like, and Dougal, sorry, let's talk cognitive biases and uh, tie it back to investing like we often do. I think it's really cool. There might be, so he has 600,000 subscribers. There might be 10,000 of those people that are like truly addicted to gambling and have to get their fix. Maybe some of those people don't go to the casino anymore because he puts out regular content. He basically is putting out uh, daily content and live streaming three times a week. Like, yeah. it's a, it, again, there's it's all these gambling hotlines and it's a stuff. Good point. And this is a hypothesis. This is an unproven hypothesis. But this might do more good than a lot of those gambling hotlines do and when, to watch when someone it, else put their money on the line. And specifically when it's slot machines. Maybe that is effectively what you're doing is you're you're putting the the coins in or you're hitting the button whatever depending on you know how digital it is and you're just watching a screen. Yep. So I guess yeah to your point if you're just watching a screen now and 
there was there was something in the article where it said it's very important that you that when he wins he says like we won not i won and so i guess you can get into that same psychology of you're you're sitting there and you're you're watching a screen if it feels like you won it's it's not about the money it's about the endorphins and you can get the same endorphins it's just it it's mind-blowing to me it's just mind-blowing that this came up there's one thought i have that doesn't relate to gambling or investing or anything else and that's just how niche the media consumption in this in the world has become so it's no longer like i like gambling so i'm gonna watch a sports gambling show that happens to be on but i'd really rather watch someone play slots it's like no you you go to youtube you type exactly what you want to see and it's out there for you (laughs) yeah i want to see pigs gambling on the bayou (laughs) okay like well, it's it's like uh, what you brought up a few times. There's a a Twitter, maybe future, could be Threads. But there's this Twitter handle that's car dealership guy. Like that is very specific. Like it's about the business of cars. That is that is the level of nichosity. Nichosity. I don't know. I don't know what the nicheness. That's probably the, probably more that that we have right now. Immediate consumption. Who? Oh my goodness. And that's crazy popular. So. Give this one a read, guys, or check out the YouTube channel. It's fascinating. Diggles, we better do it. We weren't going to do it, but we better just briefly talk about threads, Twitter. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Cage match. I mentioned everything it. I else. mentioned it. It's my fault. This is, as of recording today, threads is going on 100 million new users in a week. But actually, it theoretically, in like four days, I think some people had early access because folks like Mr. Beast were already out there threading. Um, <laughs> to get things going, is that a term? You Basically, said it so aggressively. I, just, I mean, I just hate it all, dude. I hate, I hate Twitter. I hate Threads. I hate the rest <laughs> of the social media. I, I'll tell you for show prep. I often keep notes on Twitter or Threads or a thousand other places. Elon now won't let you access. He won't let you look at a tweet on a website unless you're logged in, which was key to some of my note taking. Threads doesn't even have a website, so you can't like pull it up as you break down some stuff for your investing podcast. I mean, this is we're basically in hell here, Diggles. I don't know what's happening. What it shows you, maybe I'll say this: it just shows you the reach that Meta has because it's basically it's not that far off of Twitter's numbers in four days. I mean, it still has it has a ways to go, but just the fact that it can get to that size that quickly, there I guess two maybe two different parts to it. One is Meta's reach. The second is how badly people were looking to get away from Twitter. Like those two things combined um, is is kind of sad given where Twitter was, you know, eighteen months ago. But it is a uh, it was wild seeing the numbers tick up. I've used Threads a little bit, and in effect, it basically just looks like Twitter for the most part. Yeah. It doesn't have all the functionality of Twitter quite yet so we'll have to see how that how that changes the thing that is most interesting to me to watch is the fact that to get into threads it's a it's a sub on a product under instagram and twitter and instagram are two different mediums like the, the people that i would follow on instagram are very different than the people i would follow on twitter and so i just wonder What's the profile? Like, what, what what kind of angle does it end up taking? Does it go more Instagram? Does it go more Twitter? What's it end up doing? Like, I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Even though I have an Instagram, I created a fresh Instagram to create a fresh threads because I did <laughs> not want, 
Like yeah. I yeah. don't commingle things that way, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. but then that's affected. If I was out there for followers and engagements, which I'm not, like it's tough to go back to zero. And yeah. so a lot of people aren't going to do that. That's another maybe brilliant, maybe stupid thing that Zuck did is tie it to Instagram because that's how you get a hundred million followers and there are a hundred million users in four days. That's the only way you do it. But his principle of saying we need a text based town square that has a billion users is a very interesting one. Cause like Twitter yeah. never got there. There's a reason that Musk bought Twitter and it, it didn't have a valuation like meta where no individual could buy it because it kind of sputtered. Like mm -hmm. It had so much promise. It always has, but it never really figured out the business model. It never really figured out the engagement model. The ads on Twitter, is there even an algorithm behind them? Like it, it's, it seemed like it's like random things being oh, thrown into Oh, now your they feet. take anyone that, like, if you walk by the headquarters in San Francisco and like a nickel falls out of your pocket, they like run an ad for you. Is there a headquarters in San Francisco? <laughs> I mean, didn't, didn't Musk stop paying rent? Like about a year ago, so I don't, I don't even know if there is. That. I mean, I'm a I'm a former business uh, school case study nerd, right? Recovering, although I I just love case studies, and I I love when you see real life business case studies being crafted right in front of you. This is what's happening. They are going. HBS man probably already has three drafts of this thing. The missteps of Twitter. The <laughs> the smartness happening at meta. So the backstory, I don't know if you heard this with threads is Zuckerberg and meta kind of started talking about it in early 2023. And they did hire some former Twitter employees, but I, I don't know that that's the whole enchilada here in terms of product design. Uh, they definitely use some people from Instagram and other places. So they've been working on this for like seven months. They didn't want to release it quite this early. But when uh, Elon Musk limited the number of views on Twitter, they were like, this is the perfect, like there's the blood right in the water. Yeah, it's the right this moment. is the perfect time. They released the thing way earlier than they did, but it's operational. Like I haven't seen user glitches and to get, to take anything, anything from zero to a hundred million users without server crashes, without significant glitches in the software, is an incredible feat. I also kind of chuckled a little bit when the cease and desist letter got sent over to Meta for a number of reasons. One is just who has more lawyers? Let's just let's ask that question. The the second is like what trade secrets? I mean, Twitter is not a complicated product. I'm not saying that it that uh, there weren't smart people that put thought into like design and all that stuff, but it's yeah. you know it's a feed, which I think Meta figured out how to do a feed like quite, quite a while ago. Like it's not a, I don't know what trade secrets, right, um, are going to be that valuable, but I had to chuckle a little bit. I kind of can't wait to see where that goes. I mean, I yeah. don't think it would go anywhere because there's seven other Twitter competitors that they haven't yeah, sued. Exactly. The only reason they haven't sued them is because they didn't have a, they don't have a hundred million users, but. Well, no, that's not the only reason. It's also because there was not a cage match that was threatened <laughs> between the CEOs in other cases. Oh, okay, Douglas. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, I'm going to reach from the fishbowl.
to talk about this is, this is going to be my second topic that also is just about negatives with no positive on the other side. So I apologize. There's this Wall Street Journal piece by John Sendrew. I think is how you pronounce his name. Why interest rates don't cool inflation enough. They hit the wrong places. This doesn't, the reason I said it's about negatives, not positives, because it doesn't say what the right places are. It just says that in interest rates, the rising interest rates are not decreasing prices or not having the effect of the economy in the, the places where prices are going up the most. That's basically what it's saying. So what it shows here is that if you look at where, according to this article, where interest rates are having an impact, and they're using a lot of... Uh, Europe, as the example, more so than the US here, what it's saying is that it's having the most impact in manufacturing. And the places that prices are going up the most are not manufacturing. So price inflation in the first quarter of 2023, from this is what this is showing, is mostly in agriculture, construction, trade, and hospitality are the top three. Manufacturing came in number four. And then from a wage and salary growth perspective, manufacturing was last in the list of the the categories that it came up so it's like it's impacting this thing manufacturing that is not the place where inflation is hitting the most and when they did bring up i think this was in the u.s one thing they did said or maybe it wasn't just u.s but in, inclusive of the u.s is it said that services is the area that needs to be impacted the most and that's also what interest rates generally don't impact first but because the economy is becoming more and more service oriented economies i should say are becoming more and more service oriented it's really tough for central banks to target that. Remember your boy, not my boy at all, Neil Kashkari with the Minneapolis <laughs> Fed? Yes. Definitely not my boy. When he goes on PBS Frontline and other places and they go, the, the, the reverse, right? Let's think about the inverse. Let's use some Munger thought process here. When they were cutting rates to try and help boost people during the pandemic and they were like hey neil boy you're you're making all these billionaires and trillionaires the, i don't think there's any trillionaires billionaires millionaires way richer with your monetary policy and you're helping the guy that works at mcdonald's by like you know two cents like you, yeah, like, yeah. isn't this all backwards he he kind of says like yeah but it's the best tool we got and i want to help the i'm here to help the guy at mcdonald's uh, that's my Neil Kashkari impression. And we go, <laughs> that's, pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good. Okay. Well, this article saying the reverse is also true, right? It's saying, oh, well, the, the thought is we need to get inflation under control. We're going to raise rates. And then there's going to be all this collateral damage. And we're going to impact places that aren't a direct correlation to the main problem. But I'm telling you, Neil Kashkar is sitting there going, yeah, but this is the best we got. What else are we supposed to do, Dougals? The thing that kind of confused me a bit is this is it's complex. Economies are very complex. And so it's hard to look at this in a simple way. But why wouldn't interest rates impact service businesses? I, I understand the, the lag would be greater. Like you have to wait longer, but doesn't it impact everyone? I mean, if you have yeah. debt. Like, it absolutely does. Yeah. And that was going to be my main talking point before I did the Neil Kashkari jokes. It's like, it will get there. <laughs> it's absolutely going to get there. It's just going to take some time. But what this article is saying is like, yeah, but why, why do you want to hurt manufacturing so much 
as a means to the end. And yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I'm saying, and really my example with the Fed is I think the Fed would say, even J Powell would say, this is the best we got, guys. You got to do what you so got to do. Yeah. Like, because we can't just say this subset of the economy needs different rules than than manufacturing. It, it doesn't work yep. that way. So there's, it's why you never want inflation to run out of control in the first place because your tools to fight it like or you you never want unemployment to go to 20 percent like it did momentarily during the covid pandemic because your tools to fight it are so indirectly tied to the actual problem that there's all sorts of collateral damage yeah it makes me think about when who who was it it was warren elizabeth warren in the u.s was yelling is what i had to basically say at powell this was sometime last year yeah. and saying some version of you're going to make it so that 2 million people i can't remember the exact number but it's something like that 2 million people are going to lose their jobs by what you're doing with the interest rates are you okay with that and he was like yes and i don't think she expected that answer exactly <laughs> and then she went what hold on so you're telling me that you're willing to let 2 million people lose their jobs uh, yes and it's to your point it's not it's not because he necessarily wants 2 million people to lose their jobs. But if the alternative is that you have 20% unemployment, then yes. Like, yep. right. And you're willing to push an economy into some version of a recession to avoid a more severe recession. Like that is the, that's kind of the point. It's, it, but it's, it's tough because the instrument that you have is fairly blunt. I think that's exactly the way I said. And what's funny about that exchange is it wasn't only Elizabeth Warren. There were people on both sides being like, you know that you're about to decimate the economy. Well, funny enough, uh, the prediction, their prediction of the future has not, <laughs> it's not actually yes. come true, but that's all they can do. Yeah, they're optimizing it. for things that aren't full employment. Truth be told. Love it. I think that's it for this week. You got anything else? No, that's it. All right, guys. Next week, we are going to do a premium episode. So if you're not a premium subscriber, that really does help the show. You can hit Skippy Dougals at supercast.com. We're going to talk uh, current performance of our portfolios through the year. I'm going to uh, spend some significant time talking about optimizing savings rates and how that ties in to um, total investing performance rather than just focusing on investing returns. And we're going to break down if we're making any changes to our portfolio at this point in time, mid-year. And what stocks might be worth watching or researching, I should say. Researching, definitely. Um, so if you want to grab a premium subscription, they start as little as seven bucks a month to support the show. Now's a great time to do it. Other than that, for all things Skippy Doogles, hit skippydoogles.com and send us some listener mail, skippydoogles at gmail.com. Thank you. 